0: to the Lord. Guys, get up on your feet. Find somebody and tell them good morning. When darkness speaks a louder word than the truth that we have heard, we will fight to believe and remember. it's finished, it is done. And by your blood we've overcome. We will ever trust in you and remember. Oh, and we will sure. Our confidence is in you, Lord. We will sing of all you've done and remember. your promise and delivered us from shame. You split the waters, and your mercy was displayed. We remember, oh, we remember. You came to rescue. We were lost and gone astray. You died our death. Our sin was buried in the grave. You rose to life.
1: Great with a glass of milk? Packing an Operation Christmas Child box. Okay, let's be honest. Packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox can go great with anything. It's so that other kids can learn about Jesus. Praise the Lord. Oh, and it's also a great way to teach your own kids about giving. Teach your kids about Given. giving. Have a great day. Oh, and don't forget, make good choices. So basically you get an empty box, which any box will work. Really? Okay, not any box. Much better. Okay, so now you have your empty box. Now you can pick the age range, and if you want it to be for a boy or a girl. Okay, come on, please be a boy. Please be a boy! Well, looks like we're gonna be packing for a boy this year. First, you can choose a wow item, such as a soccer ball, or a stuffed animal. Hmm. And you can choose other fun toys, too. Hygiene items. And school supplies. There are, of course, some items you cannot pack. Like liquids. Food, items related to war, live animals. And don't even think about packing chocolate because it melts no candy, and no toothpaste. When your gift is finished, you can write a letter and include a photo. It gives it a nice personal touch. When your box is done, you can make your shipping donation online through Follow Your Box. Simply print off your tracking label to see where the destination of your gift will be. And don't forget, it's important to pray for the child that is receiving this gift, because packing a box is a simple way to share the gospel with kids all around the world. Maybe even in... in Africa. Now that your box is done, it's time to get moving. Transport your box to a nearby drop-off location near you. These will be open all across the U.S. on National Collection Week, the third week in November. Drop it off and voila, you pack the shoebox. Easy as one, two, three. See you all!
2: Good morning, everybody. Well, that starts tomorrow, National Collection Week, and we've had many of you bring in your boxes this morning. I want to encourage you three ways to be involved. Number one is to pack a box. Number two is to serve. Uh, We need help this next week uh, packing. We especially need help on Monday, a week from tomorrow, when we pack the trucks. Uh, But we're also going to be packing a truck on Saturday morning as well. So from 10 to 1, if you're able, if you have a, Healthy back, and you're willing to come out for a couple hours, uh, we could use some help then. But the, uh, the rest of the week too, you can sign up to serve, and we'd encourage you to do that. Um, the third way is we need you to pray. Uh, as you, some of you know, I've had the privilege to go on a uh, um, in in Panama. I went, and we distributed boxes, and to see those kids, uh, to share the gospel with them, to see what God is doing in those churches is very very exciting. And uh, this is a phenomenal ministry. These boxes go across the globe. I, I think last year they even had some going to Iran. I know for sure Iraq. Places that otherwise you could not go. So please be involved in that. You're in for, there's information in the worship guide about that. So uh, uh, lots of stuff this morning to announce. So if you would open your worship guide while you're opening them, I want to welcome you. If you are visiting Carpenter's Way, I know we have some new folks here. I've met some of you this morning. Thanks for being here today. I know some of you are watching from deer stands all across East Texas. And uh, we want to thank you for your commitment to watching. This is sure to help you kill a deer. But uh, um, a um, couple, couple things I want to highlight. Oh, if you're visiting with us, uh, as soon as the service is over, Julie and I will be up here, and we'd love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have. Um, so please plan on joining our coming up, and, and I, I get a chance to meet you. Uh, I want to highlight uh, first this insert, this small journey at Christmas. Each year we try to uh, hand out, I know the children's ministry does, we try to hand out an Advent calendar. It's a passage of scripture every day that uh, you can follow along through the month of December to prepare your heart for the Christmas celebration. This year we're going to do it through our Facebook page and every day from December 1st all the way through the 25th there will be a particular scripture that we'll post up there and we want you to be involved in that. And, uh, but to do that, you need to like our church's Facebook page. That's in there to remind you that all you got to do is go to the, you know, look on Facebook, Facebook, look for Carpenters Way Baptist Church, and we will make sure, and, and like that page, and then you will, it will be in your feed every day. But we want to encourage you during this season to be in the Scriptures, especially understanding the prophecy uh, of Jesus Christ coming. Uh, another announcement. Tonight is our annual business meeting at 5 o'clock. Uh, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, there's a few things that uh, our church membership is involved in. The purchase and sale of property, as, uh, the hiring of the lead pastor position. But also annually, we, look, we talk about our budget uh, as well as church officers. And in your insert here for our annual business meeting, it explains what we'll be voting on tonight. You have uh, three people who've been nominated to church office uh, for the finance team, it's Glenda Ayers. Mission Investment, it's Rex Gray. And for Elder, it's Jeremy Overby. And uh, if you have any questions about those three individuals or comments you would like to make to the leadership, you need to do that this morning. Uh, at the meeting tonight, we won't engage any of questions regarding that, just because uh, our purpose is to build up, not to tear down, and we want you to be involved. Also, we will be voting on our budget. Uh, as you leave here, against the library wall is, uh, is budgets for the year, the proposed budget. Please take some time to read through them. If you have any questions, you can ask before, or you can ask tonight. We'll be available to answer questions. Usually these business meetings take about 15 minutes. Uh, And uh, again, to answer any questions you have and then to vote, but we want you actively involved. So uh, if you're a member of Carpenter's Way, please be be involved. We want you to do that. Let's see, what else do I have? Oh, next Tuesday, that's a week from this Tuesday, (laughs) the Tuesday of Thanksgiving is our annual Agape Feast, and some ask what is our Agape Feast? It is our big old annual potluck, uh, and basically we will turn this uh, next Sunday after the service, we'll empty this out and we'll put tables up in here and we will turn this into a dining room and our family will come together and we'll have a big old Thanksgiving feast. Uh, information is in the middle section there uh, about that, and you're all welcome, and even if you're an internet family member, I know we got a lot of people watching on the internet, we would love to have you come and be with us that day and, and, uh, and join us. Uh, we ask you to bring two dishes to share, and uh, then we eat in here, and it's, it's just a wonderful time together. So uh, please plan on joining us for that. Uh, Mark Strong is going to come up, one of our elders, and has an announcement, and then uh, we'll take our offering in a moment. Good morning. Over the uh, next few weeks, we're gonna be collecting shoe boxes for our staff. So if you could take those and fill them. They especially need hygiene items. So if you would do that, no, actually, if you're looking your worship guide, uh, until November 25th, we're going to be taking up a staff love offering for Christmas for our staff because of the way they care for us and take care of us throughout the year just to show our appreciation. So if you would take the little love offering envelope in the worship guide and fill that and then drop it in the plate, we would appreciate it. We're going to collect those through November the 25th. Thank you. (laughs) I never know what our elders are going to say when they get up here. We're thinking about taking them on tour for comedy. <laughs> Kip last week <laughs> is in shorts, and he says, this is the new dress code. <laughs> OK, all right. Anyway, oh, I, uh, one more thing um, before we ask our ushers to come forward. For those of you who have ever served in the military in any of the branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, the Coast Guard, would you stand up for a second, please? Don't sit down yet. We're going to embarrass you a little bit. I want, Would everybody else stand up? Would you thank one of them? Shake their hand, hug their neck, embarrass them a little bit. As they're finishing being appreciative, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. And uh, this is for, as I always tell our family, this is for those who attend here regularly. If you are visiting with us this morning at Carpenter's Way, we're just awfully glad that you're here. We don't want you distracted by money. I want to remind our church family that uh, this is how we support our mission, work across the globe, and uh, pay the budget and all, so be involved. This is part of our worship. And uh, let us, uh, let's take a moment, let's pray, let's commit our, our service to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for those who have put it on the line so that we can have this gathering this morning. Lord, thank you for those who have been willing to serve in the military. Uh, we have holidays, Lord, where we where we take a moment to remember those who have given their lives. And this holiday is for those who have just been willing to serve in the military, those in active duty, those who have been in active duty. And we are certainly appreciative. Uh, Lord, even beyond those who served in the five branches of the military, there are women and men who have volunteered at USOs and and other ways of supporting the troops. And Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that we live in a country with a volunteer army who are willing to secure our borders. Lord Jesus, I pray for our leadership as we just had an election and some of the votes are still being counted. Lord Jesus, we pray that our country would be a moral place, a just place, uh, where people, where thoughts can be exchanged in ways that respect each other, Father, where the message of salvation can be freely proclaimed, uh, where uh, Lord Jesus, we can be a haven of security for those who are in fear of their lives. Lord, thank you that that we were, most of us here in this room were born here and we get to live here, uh, Father. Again, thank you for those who are willing to put their lives on the line so that we could live in freedom. And and, uh, at times with the rhetoric on the Internet and on social media, we forget that we are blessed. Um, We're in a conversation of trying to make this place better. May our rhetoric be gracious and may our lives be filled with the fruit of the Spirit as we have those conversations. Uh, Now, Father, as we turn our face away from the business of church... Uh, as we turn our face back to you, it is my prayer, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us. Uh, I pray that you keep our, our friends and family safe who are out there uh, hunting, uh, who are traveling, who are, those who are not well. Father, uh, be with them. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: and passes if you want to stay and worship with us, you're more than welcome.
2: But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love.
0: I know what it's like to try. his love and I know what it's like to feel you're not enough running from the sin that you can't hide and the guilt you fear trying to sleep at night he came and found me at my very worst he gave me life that I did not deserve and I am forgiven now by His good grace because of His mercy I'll never be the same this love this love unending this grace His grace amazing, my heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise. Yes, you are worthy of all of my praise. His love is perfect and it's so didn't have to earn what he's given me. I am adopted, say.
2: Once in a while, I am reminded, uh, more uh, personally, just uh, what we do together and that we're a family, uh, and what a privilege that is. You know, I what, what does the world do? I, I don't. Where, who do you who do you lean on? Um, you know, this last year, I'm sure many of you are aware. This was the first year in 14 years that we have had a significant number of people in our church have to move away for work. Uh, many of you know Pat Purcell moved back down to be with family, and Connie and David Minshew moved uh, to be near their kids in the high, co- the hill country, and and uh, just a lot of our folks have moved away, and I miss them. I miss seeing, I miss seeing those folks, and then I get up here, and uh, you fill in by ten, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just want you to know, man, what a privilege it is to be with you. I love you guys, Julie, and I love you. Uh, and as our kids have left us, abandoned us <laughs> to get old and die, uh, what, what a significant part of our lives you are. And uh, um, we, uh, having said that, we have a, a lot of you are new, uh, a lot of you watch on the internet, that has become even a bigger ministry, you hear me talk about that more, and I, I just want to encourage you to, to get to know people. Um, the reason we do this isn't just for information, but to get to know people. And uh, I forgot to mention uh, along. There's lots of events in the next month and a half for you to really build relationships. Uh, most of the relationships in this church are built in Bible study groups and different things like that. But like the Agape Feast is so significant, you'll you'll get a chance. And it isn't a it isn't a spiritual service. It's just it's actually sin. It's gluttony. It's just. Uh, uh, it's enjoying each other. It's laughing a little bit, and that's what we're going to do. But there's also a ladies' event coming up, and there's an insert in the worship guide about that. If, if you're new to Carpenter's Way, consider this your invitation. We want you to be there, and they will love on you and, and introduce you around. And, and uh, we got a movie night in uh, the, the the Sunday night before Christmas. We're going to turn our parking lot into movies, and, and it's it's just silly. I mean, the point is getting together and shaking each other's hands and meeting each other and and uh, I want to encourage those of you who come here regularly, if you see somebody you don't recognize or you don't think you recognize, be courageous and step over to them and ask them, here's how you say it. How long have you been with us? Because if you ask them if this is their first time, they've been here for five years. It's just how the, 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 the dice roll. If you say, how long have you been with us? It's, oh, this is our first time. Oh, I didn't think I recognized you. But it's, I know it's embarrassing because you don't know everybody around. But just reach out to folks and uh, and we, and, and, and I'm very serious, after the service, um, if you're visiting and, and you've been here a few times and you have questions, I want to shake your hand, I want to take you to a Bible study, introduce you to people, because this is a big setting. We, we figure we have between 800 and 1,200 people that say Carpenter's Way is my home. It's a very transient flock. Not a lot of folks are from East Texas, so they travel a lot and then they like to kill animals. And... Uh, and so a lot of folks, you know, we, we want to get to know you. We want to in introduce you around because it's outside of this that real relationships that you need, spiritual relationships are built. So we encourage you to do that. And I just want to take this chance as well to say that if you watch on the internet every week, we're glad you're watching. But you've got to have relationships with believers. And uh, we would love to love on you and encourage you into a closer relationship with Christ. So get some of these events. It's holiday season. It's party season. We put them on for a, a reason. Also this morning, I'm a little bit nostalgic because what's been lost in this last week is you all know that the Bustlers had Donna and Brad, uh, his daughter, Laura, and her husband, Micah, who attend here, they had a baby last week. And that's exciting news, but the baby had some feeding problems and so ended up at Texas Children's Hospital for this week. And in all that excitement, they forgot to announce, I don't know if you're aware of this, but even with ultrasounds and everything, There's a percentage of wrongness. Well, we all looked forward to little June coming into our life, and June turned into a Samuel. So we're very excited for more hunting and uh, more wrestling time and all that excitement. And all of you who bought little June little girl clothes, thank you for that. God's going to give them 12 more kids. All but one will be boys. Uh, Having said that, they may need some boy hand-me-downs. But uh, we're so excited for them, and Brad, it's good to see you here this morning. Uh, your unsaved family, who wouldn't attend this morning with the new child, uh, is being held accountable. But we're very excited. And uh, please keep praying. Some of the nutrition issues caused some uh, physiological things. So they'll be, over the next year, there's going to be some more doctor's appointment at Texas Children's and uh, some things. But, but no danger uh, by way of health, and it's all good. But, you know, sometimes that happens, and uh, we're thankful to the Lord for little Samuel. And uh, that's kind of meaningful to us because you know our son is Zach, but his middle name, middle name is Samuel, and, and that's because we prayed for eight years for that little boy, and uh, it means the Lord has heard our prayer. And uh, so little Samuel is going to be great, and it will be a reminder of God's faithfulness, but uh, you may need to r- raid your children's closet uh, for that child. All right, First Samuel chapter 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they weren't like their father, for they were greedy for money, and they accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss this matter with Samuel. This is way back, going way back now. Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons aren't like you. Give us a king to judge us like other nations have. So this is before Saul was king. Verse 6. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Remember this story? This is how they ended up with King Saul. Verse 10, so Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who are asking for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, a human king. The king will draft your sons and assign them to chariots and charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and and, and captains in his army. Some will be forced, though, to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make weapons and, and charity equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He'll take away the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among the officers and attendants. He'll make your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He'll demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from the Lord Uh, From this king, sorry, you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. So listen to their response. So what's happening is they want a human king. God says, you don't want a human king. Yes, we want a human king. Okay, tell them this warning. So this is the warning. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, they said, we still want a king. Be careful, it's going to ruin your life. That's all right. We want a ruined life this way. That's what they're saying. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Oh, church, be careful not to want to be like the world. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home, and that is how the Hebrew nation got a king. That's how they got Saul. And you remember Saul. He was the one the Lord had told Samuel to anoint, I'm giving them this man. He was the best looking and the tallest man. And as soon as they anoint him, as soon as Saul Samuel tells Saul that he's going to be king, what does Saul do? He hides in the luggage. He doesn't want the job. He had no heart for God. Saul used God as a good luck charm. When he wanted something, he would then go to God. But he had no heart for God. So eventually God removes Saul from being disobedient, rebellious, And he had Samuel anoint a little boy by the name of David, who would be their next king. David, even as a child, had a whole heart for God. And yet he was a pretty sinful guy as he got older. He started strong as a shepherd boy and a Goliath slayer in the name of the Lord. He was a fierce warrior. But as time went on, he began to take God's laws lightly. He thought he was an exception to the ordinances of God, and he begins to do things from sleeping with Bathsheba to bringing the Ark of the Covenant in a way that was clear disobedience to God. And the ramifications of that sin, although his sin was forgiven, were devastating, not just to David and his wives, but to his family as a whole, and eventually the nation. In fact, the ramifications of David's sin actually uh, continued on beyond his life and into the reign of the next king that God would choose for the Hebrew nation. And without getting into a lot of scripture this morning, God actually chose. And if you want to know the character and heart and mercy of God, it is clearly seen in this one act. The third most significant king to the nation of Israel will be this king. And it is the son of David and Bathsheba. It is Solomon who becomes the third king of the nation. How crazy is that? Of all the wives that David has, God chooses Bathsheba's son to be the third king. So Solomon becomes the king, and it doesn't take a lot of reading and a long time into his reign when you realize that he had a half heart. Three kings, one with no heart for God, one with a full heart for God, but a sinful flesh, and one with a half heart for God. And this is how Solomon's reign began. Bear with me, I'm going to read you a couple chapters. King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found uh, Abishag from Shuman and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him, but the king had no sexual relationship with her. About that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I'm going to make myself king. So he proved himself with, uh, provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Who does that sound like? Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time even by asking, why are you doing that? That's why I have always told you that David wasn't just a bad king and bad servant of the Lord, even though he loved the Lord and had a heart for him, he was also a bad dad. Uh, Adonijah uh, Adonijah had been born next after Absalom and he was very handsome. So now you know where he learned it, from his older brother. Adonijah took Joab, son of Zeruah, and Abiathar the priest into his confidence and they agreed to help him become king. You remember these two men were David's buddies. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah son of Jehonah, don't worry about the names, I can't pronounce them and you don't need to remember them, just get the big picture. They took uh, Nathan the prophet, Shammai, Rea, and David's personal bodyguard refused to rep, uh, to support Adonijah. Adonijah sent to the stone of uh, some other place near the spring of Enrogel, An- An- where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fatted calf. He invited all of his brothers, the other sons of King David, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah, or the king's bodyguards, or his brother Solomon. Another coup, that's what this is. Then Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, haven't you heard of Haggis' son, Adonijah? He's made himself king, and our Lord David doesn't even know about it. If you want to save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, follow my advice. Go and once to King David and say to him, my lord the king, didn't you make a vow and say to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on the throne? Why has Adonijah become king? And and while you are still talking to him, I will come and confirm everything you have said. So uh, Bathsheba went into the king's bedroom. He was very old now. And Abishag was taking care of him. Bathsheba bowed low before the king. What can I do for you, he asked her. She replied, my lord, you've made a vow before the lord your god when you said to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. Instead, Adonijah had made himself king, and my lord, the king, does not even know about it. He has sacrificed many cattle, fatted calves, and sheep, and he has invited all of the king's sons to attend the celebration. He has invited Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army, but he didn't invite your servant Solomon. And now, my lord, the king, all Israel is waiting for you to announce who will become king after you. If you don't act, my son Solomon and I will be treated as criminals as soon as my lord, the king, has died. So are you following this? Another mess. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, just like they planned. Poor David. He got to heaven and found out everybody was messing with his head. The king's official told him, Nathan Nathan the prophet is here to see you. Nathan went in and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Nathan asked, my lord, the king, have you decided that Adonijah, uh, Adonijah will be the next king and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has sacrificed many cattle, fatted calf and sheep and he has invited all the king's sons to attend the celebration. He's also invited the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. They're fasting and they're drinking with him and shouting, long live King Adonijah. But he didn't invite me or Zadok the priest or uh, Benaniah or, or your servant Solomon. Has my lord the king really done this without letting any of his officials know who should be the next king? King David responded, call Bathsheba. So she came back in and she stood before the king and the king repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Then Bathsheba bowed down her face to the ground before the king and exclaimed, may my Lord King David live forever. (laughs) Just so you know, if people say that, they obviously don't mean it or expect it to happen. Verse 32, then King David ordered, Call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, son of Jehoiada. When they came into the king's presence, the king said to them, Take Solomon and my officials down to the spring. Solomon is to ride on on my own mule. That was a big deal, by the way. That said, who was coming in the power of the king? There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, Long live King Solomon! Then escort him back here and he'll sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Amen, Benaniah, son of uh, Jehoiada, replied. May the Lord, the God of of my lord, the king, decree that it happen. And may the Lord be with Solomon, and he's been with you, my lord king. And may uh, may he make Solomon reign even greater than yours. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to the spring, and Solomon riding on the king's own mule. There Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil and sacred from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. And they sounded the ram's horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Adonijah and his guests heard the celebrating and shouting just as they were finishing their banquet. When Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn, he said, What's going on? Why is the city in such an uproar? And while he was still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Come in, Adonijah said to him, for you are a good man. You must have good news for me. (laughs) Not at all, Jonathan replied. For our Lord King David has just declared Solomon king. The king sent him down to the spring with Zadok, and yes, I'm ignoring the word. (laughs) Don't know how to pronounce it. With Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, protected the king's bodyguard. They made him ride on a king's own mule. And Zadok and Nathan have anointed him at the spring as the new king. They have just returned, and the whole city is celebrating and rejoicing. That's what all the noise is about. What's more, Solomon is now sitting on the royal throne as king. And all the royal officials have gone to David and congratulated him, saying, may your God make Solomon's fame even greater than your own, and may Solomon reign to be even greater than you. Then the king bowed his head in worship as he lay on his bed. And he said, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who today has chosen a successor to sit on my throne while I am still alive to see it? Then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up in panic for the banquet table, for the banquet table, and quickly scattered. Oh, how you lose friends quickly if your life is in danger! Adonai uh, was afraid of Solomon, so he rushed to the sacred tent and he grabbed onto the horns at the altar. Not going to say much more about this this morning, but uh, one of the Hebrew laws was you could seek the protection of God Himself if you ran into the tent. Uh, it was a particular tent of protection, and you grabbed onto that horn. As long as you held that horn, you would be under the protection of the Lord and couldn't be tried or killed. Eventually, what would happen, though, is basically it protected you until a court could be seated and you could be heard. It wasn't an eternal thing, but that's why he grabs onto that horn. Verse t- verse 51 Words soon reached Solomon that Adonijah uh, had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, Let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. Solomon rep- replied, If he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he'll die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah, I'm killing his name, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him, saying, go on home. Chapter 2. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going now where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. These are his instructions to Solomon. We talked about this last week. Take courage. Be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all that you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep his promise he made to me. He told me if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there's something else. You uh, you know what Joab, son of Zerah did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals, sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think is best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. That's code for killing. Be kind to the sons of Brazili, of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your home, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shammai, son of Gura the man of uh, Beharam, Benjamin, he cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing Mahanaham. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath doesn't make him innocent. You're a wise man, and you know how to arrange a bloody death for him. This must have been a nice death verse. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. What a mess. You think the transference of government of the United States is complicated. This is really, really a mess. And it's a mess because the Hebrews refused to let God be their eternal king. That's ultimately why this is happening, and God gives them what they want, and they end up with no-hearted Saul, and then they end up with full-hearted David, but wicked David, and then they end up with half-hearted Solomon. In case you missed it up to now, there is a ripple effect and a high cost of forgiven sin, and I would be amiss not to plead with you again. Yes, your sin is forgiven, but please walk with God. It will protect not just you, but your children, if we step out in the flesh like this family does, it, it, the ramifications can be for generations. It's not that they are judged for your sin, but the ramifications of our sin, it just affects our children, and this is chaos, total chaos in God's nation. And this transition of leaders could or should have been peaceful if they would have simply done life God's way. But they wanted a human king. And despite being warned by the prophet Samuel on behalf of God, they got exactly what, what he warned them would happen. Exactly. And that's what it looked like. So now we leave our study of this is what it looks like to go for the next few weeks until Christmas. I want to show you what it looked like after this. Because the end of this story is remarkable. It's, it's, it's supernatural. And it is why we celebrate Christmas. For months now, We've been looking at Ruth and Samuels, looking at what happens when God's people obey him and trust him and what happens when they don't, when they take their life into their own hands. We've seen the decisions they have made, and we have seen blessings, and we have seen the high cost of disobedience and rebellion. This holy, called-out nation, like Solomon, has a half-heart for God. Even to this day, they love being the people of the Passover. They are proud of their heritage. They just don't like the Messiah too much in most cases. I want to be clear, though. In case there's some misthinking that the chaos disrupts God's eternal plan, I want to remind you of what God told David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you, David, from tending sheep in the pasture and I selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all of your enemies before you. Now, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. That prophecy is still fulfilled. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past starting from the time i appointed judges to rule my people israel i will give you rest from all your enemies furthermore the lord declares that he will make a house for you pay attention here a dynasty of kings god is now promising this to david this is important i'll get to the good stuff in a moment god makes a prophecy way back that god uh, that he would have a dynasty of kings for when you die and are buried with your ancestors i will raise up one of your descendants unnamed at this point, but I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build the house a temple. This is in response to David saying, I want to build a temple. God says, no, I'm going to raise up another. This is that place. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son's. And if he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. Please note that he's not gonna divorce him. He's not gonna throw him out. He's not gonna declare he's not his kid. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul. That's how we know that Saul had no heart. That, To me, this answers the question that theologians love to debate. Was Saul saved? This appears that he was not. Was David saved? Yes. Was Solomon saved? This appears to say so, because he will not take his blessing, his favor from him like he did Saul. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That is a huge statement. It's one of those you read over, you don't think much, you think God's speaking in hyperbole, but that is a a prophetic truth, and one of the most important prophecies of Jesus' birth. I want that to sink in. God says to King David in response to his desire to build a temple, no thank you, I've chosen one of your sons to do that. And no matter how sinful or rebellious that son is or becomes, I will be his dad and I will make his son's king and I'm going to secure that throne in your line forever. He's obviously speaking of of Solomon. And as God tells David that his son Solomon will build a temple, he adds, your family, your throne, That throne, your dynasty, your children will sit on that throne forever. Guess who eventually sits on that throne? Guess. Thank you, one of you know, Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. He's not an American savior, sorry Mormons. Jesus is a Jew. And he's in the line of, he's in the family of? David, well he's called a dozen times in the gospels the son of David. Get this, the Jews recognized Jesus As a son of David, even those that reject him, call him the son of David. You'll see that after the first of the year, we're going to get into what we're going to do is out of stained glass, the Jesus edition. We're just going to do all the gospels in unison. We're going to go through a chronicle, chronological look at the life of Jesus Christ, and I think you're going to be surprised. It is hard for us as Gentiles to remember this. I mean, I know we know it, but you have to understand that Jesus grew up a Jew. In fact, Jesus, it'll tell us there's a place you'll find that he celebrated Hanukkah with his family. They celebrated the Passover. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah that reached out beyond because the promise was that I am going to bless the nations of the earth forever. And it is not coincidental that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, the Father, the first member of the Trinity, talks about the Son when he says, you're talking about Jesus, your throne, O God, endures for two and a half weeks. No, that's not what it says. Forever. So God has promised, bringing this all together, pay attention here, God has promised David that he's going to put his son on the throne, and that son is going to be the one that builds the temple. And he's going to bless that son, even though he's sinful. He's going to to preserve him. And in fact, his sons, there'll be a dynasty of kings. Actually, I want to say that all but one of them will be wicked. The only one that is not wicked is the one who will eventually sit on the throne of David forever, and that's Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. If I can get you To stick with me the next four weeks, Christmas will be more than it ever did. It it is a huge answer to the question, why doesn't God just send another flood? Why doesn't he just pick somebody else's family? Why didn't he just pick somebody else? Because he made a promise, and he had a plan, and he is not even going to let their sin change that plan. More on that at Christmas. But I do need you to get this, because it's where we'll end up in a few weeks. Despite their rebellion and their willful sin, the nation, the kings, the people, God will save them and us the only way possible. He will write himself into history and not only become the king of this nation, but the savior of the world. The world. For those of you who are listening to more and more evangelicals question whether or not Jesus Christ was in fact God, The name that the angel proclaimed is Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Why does it name him that? Because Jesus Christ was, is, and forevermore will be God with us. Once again, God had a plan. The Hebrew people flat out reject it. God didn't let that affect his plan, but it does mess up the nation. Here we go. David put Solomon on the throne, and here's what, well, let me read it. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, The people of Israel sacrificed their offerings in local places of worship for a a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. All right, so let me explain what's going on because this is important. Uh, What has happened in between is Solomon has actually gone out in the first couple chapters of Kings. He goes out and does what his dad says. Uh, Joab and all these people try to rise up against him and he kills them. Just like his dad said, I want you to take this guy out and this guy out and he does, he takes them out. People who stand up against him. Even makes peace. Remember that guy who was yelling at David as he was leaving Jerusalem after uh, his son starts to take it over? He tells his son to watch him. And he makes a a deal with that guy that if he doesn't leave the city, he won't be killed. Well, he leaves the city and he's killed. So after Solomon cleans up the city, the first thing he does is he makes peace with the Egyptians by marrying the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter. There's a problem with that. God said, don't do that. Throughout the uh, Mosaic Covenant, which they are under at this point, the king's job, as I've been trying to tell you, is to make sure that that nation stays in a a good covenant relationship with God. The first thing after he kills these guys that Solomon does is he married Pharaoh's uh, daughter trying to keep the peace with her. It tells us in the Mosaic Law that the reason God did not want the Jews to intermarry with uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, is because it would introduce their gods. Now look at the next verse solomon loved the lord and followed all the decrees of his father except that solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship the most important of these places of worship was at gibeon so the king went there and he sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings now unless you study context and culture you'll misunderstand this solomon loved god we know that solomon celebrated god he worshiped God, and he kept most of his father's instructions, except for these. He intermarries with a Gentile nation, and then second of all, he offers thousands of sacrifices in the local places. Now, some of your versions of the Bible say the high places. That is clearly a reference to non-tabernacle worship. They were instructed to only offer sacrifices of forgiveness and, uh, and, um, to God in the tabernacle. He's doing it in thousand different places. So you have the third king of Israel starting out his reign, obeying his father, loving God, but loving everybody else's gods too. That's why he had a half heart. The Mosaic Covenant, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament prohibit prohibit offering atonement sacrifices in any other place than at the tabernacle. Solomon offers thousands of these in local places. Most theologians believe that it's a Canaanite worship practice. Despite loving God, don't miss that. Despite wanting to obey his father in most things, he did not obey God. Let's take a deep breath. So look what God does. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, verse 5. And God said, what do you want? Ask. I'll give it to you, Solomon. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David. Because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father. Instead of my father, David. But I am, now pay attention how he sees himself in this position. I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And Here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Now in Sunday school, and you all know this because this is one of the famous stories about Solomon, in Sunday school and as we're growing up and in Bible classes, we're always taught the happy stuff. We don't look at the rough stuff. So when you think of Solomon, you obviously think of the wisest man ever lived. And in fact, we all, probably most of you know, that not only because of he asked for wisdom, God gave him great wealth and property and land as well. Having said that, I remember being in Sunday school and being taught that the reason God gave him wisdom is because of all the things that Solomon could ask for, out of reverence and respect for the Lord, he actually asked for wisdom. And what a great thing. And then the Sunday school lesson uh, usually ended with something like, make sure that what you ask of the Lord has eternal value and not temporary value. A great Sunday school lesson, but the problem is that that's not why he asked for wisdom. Solomon does not have a whole heart for God. Solomon isn't going, thank you for everything. In fact, you'll notice that when he praises God for being on the throne, he praises God for his faithfulness to his dad, not to himself. He says that it's because of his dad's faithfulness. And so when he praises God for giving him his throne, he's actually not even talking about his own commitment to him. He's already neck deep in sin, and you're gonna see next week just how much deeper in sin he gets. He's feeding his flesh. But when God comes to him and says, why don't you ask anything from me, he is freaking out over his responsibilities. I believe that Solomon looks at that nation and says, I am going to be such a bad king. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm like a child who has no idea how to lead. And look at all these people. Look at the responsibility. And yet the Lord, knowing full well that he's asking for this out of self-preservation and help. And by the way, some of you right now who are theologians or theologically minded are wondering how can you make that jump. Because I want to remind you that Saul also was over his head, but Saul went deep. What he did was a PR campaign. What he did was kill people. He acted in his flesh to go out there and take care of things. Solomon actually asked God, knowing that God was the only one who could give him what he needed. Verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom, so God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and have not asked for a long life or well or death of your enemies... I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever had or will ever have. And I will be with you, and I w- or I will also give you what you have asked for, uh, what you didn't ask for, sorry, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey all my decrees and my commands as your father, David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all of his officials to this great banquet. All right, We're about to turn the channel here. All of that is historical information to bring you where I want you to be this morning. I want you to understand that this is just the beginning of Solomon's reign. He's a mess. And making willful, bad choices in his flesh. But one thing Solomon did right is he knew where his authority came from and he knew who reigned and he knew when he was in desperate shape who would give him what he needed to do what God had called him to do. Just like you did. Just like you did. I take you to Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite New Testament passages. You have to endure it all the time when I preach. You see, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, Let's keep going. You used to live in sin. That's present tense. Live. Ongoing. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Just like Solomon. All of us. Following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature, like marrying Pharaoh's daughter. You can fill in the blank for yourself, whether you were six years old demanding that your parents give you what you want, or you were 60 years old or 16, the moment you came to Christ, you were still in process of feeding your flesh. In fact, you came to God out of desperation. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, present tense, at the moment of salvation, we forget that. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, scripture tells us, Christ died for us. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus, just like we can do with Psalm. We look back at the nation of Israel and we can see God's grace and mercy to his plan, to his plan to redeem mankind, to send a Savior through the line of David, through the line of Judah, that is going to redeem the sin of the world, the people who don't deserve it. While Saul was still sinning, God was still working. While David was sleeping with Bathsheba, God was still working. While David was having Uriah killed, God was still working. While Solomon is marrying Pharaoh's daughter in clear disobedience to the law, God is still working. While his brothers are trying to overthrow him, God is still working. And while you and I were in sin, God was working. Verse eight, God saved us by his grace when you believed. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift of God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Like Solomon, we were out doing our own thing, feeding the inclinations of our flesh. When we realized that one day we would stand before a just and holy God, and we needed redemption, redemption and forgiveness and grace we couldn't earn because we were still feeding our flesh. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We forget that. These stories of the Old Testament aren't just historical. They're factual. They're representative. They're exactly what happens every day somebody gets saved. God shows mercy to people who don't, believe, don't, don't, uh, don't deserve it. He gives half-hearted people, save me, but I sure like feeding my flesh. He redeems them because of his plan. When you cried out to him in belief that he was the only solution to your problem, just like Solomon did, knowing he was the only one that could save us from our plight, God was so rich in mercy and he loved you so much that he didn't ignore you or slap you around or send you to hell, but in actuality, he raised you to life out of your spiritual deadness. Ephesians one says that he has then given us every spiritual blessing available to us in Christ. In the same way that God would now give Solomon wisdom, he gave you eternal life, he gave you eternal wealth. In fact, he calls you joint heirs. We don't understand because most of us got saved not to go to hell. The fear of the Lord is clearly the beginning of wisdom, but it is the joy of the Lord that's our strength. The fact is that most of us just didn't want to go to hell, and I'm here to tell you today that when God looked at you and redeemed you, He wasn't thinking about hell. He was thinking about a relationship with you as your dad. When God was looking at Solomon marrying Pharaoh's daughter and and doing all this stuff, offering other sacrifices, God wasn't looking at this one individual who was just flipping him off. God's looking at a guy who's in the line of David who would then be the father of a dynasty of kings who one time would actually give birth to the Messiah of the world who would redeem mankind and sit on the throne forever because that is the only way any of us would ever be saved in the first place. Stay tuned in the coming weeks. I'm going to lay this out for you, and you are going to know the history of the world. I'm going to do it. in one Sunday, I'm going to teach you the history of the world, and not Monty Python's version. The real one. And if it doesn't blow your mind, we're going to have the person behind you give you a wet willy. This is great news. And it isn't because Christmas is a wonderful time to eat. And it's not because we get family. It's great news because we don't get what we deserve. And Solomon in this story didn't get what he deserved. For those of you who think you can lose your salvation, explain this. How is it that Solomon, who was working and running, uh, much of the theology today of that whole idea is, well, it's not that you can outsin it, but if you, if you turn your back on God, Solomon turned his back on God. He's offering sacrifices to false gods in direct opposition to what God said. And look what God does. He does discipline him, but he forgives him. Why did he do it for us? I mean, we get Solomon, okay, he made a promise. God made a promise that he was gonna be the father of a dynasty of kings, that through that line, this is the promise, so it had to be fulfilled this way. So why you? The next verse, Ephesians 2.10, because you're God's masterpiece. He's created you anew in Christ Jesus, So that, there's the reason, ready? So that, what's the point? Why did he make you a masterpiece? Why did he redeem you? It has nothing to do with hell. Hell is a byproduct of where you are spiritually. You go to hell because you're not in relation with God. That's why. And unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, we live in a time where all we do is evangelism. We don't teach doctrine much anymore. So the question to every unsaved person is, Why is it, well, you need Jesus because you're going to go to hell otherwise. And while that's a fine introduction to God, we got to finish the statement, and this does it. The reason you're his masterpiece, the reason he redeemed you, the reason you can't take credit for it is because you are part of his plan. And even your sin will not keep his plan from happening. If Solomon's plan, if God's plan through Solomon is to be the father of a dynasty of kings that would eventually lead to Jehovah... God has a plan for you, and we don't know what it is, but it is a good plan, it's an eternal plan, and it is a God-glorifying plan, and you're a part of it. You are his masterpiece, not because you're pretty and because God feels... Ah, that's not why you're a masterpiece. That is Hallmark Christian card lies. By masterpiece, it means tapestry. He took string on a white cloth and he sewed you together and he did it with the right colors and the right sewing technique for one purpose and that is the purpose for which he has for your spiritual life. You are not just redeemed. You're not just saved. You are tasked. You're tasked. God has a plan for you. This story of Solomon is what it looked like back for him, but it looks exactly the same for you. And you may be sitting here this morning going, well, I don't know what that task is. If God would let me in on it, I'll do it. Solomon didn't know his task. Solomon just thought God was being good to him because his dad was obedient. He was clueless. And I got to tell you something. We all wish we knew what God was going to do over the next 15 days of our life. But the truth is, if we knew exactly what he was going to do, we wouldn't need to pray we wouldn't need to depend on him. We could go about our business until the scheduled appointment takes place. But God wants you every day, every moment of every day, to be prayerfully looking to him for guidance and direction, knowing that you're his masterpiece, and having no clue how he's gonna use you. That is, there there are uh, like two or three questions that through my whole ministry I've gotten over and over. (laughs) One is, and I've told some of you this, one is, is it wrong for a Christian to be cremated after death? That's the actual most common theological question I get annually. Um, it's cheaper, I know. Um, the second one is, how do I know God's plan for my life? And, and I just want to tell you it's none of your business. If he wants you to know, he'll tell you. I mean, he will. That's why he went to David in a dream, and he went to Solomon in a dream, and it, it, he's, he's still got a dream, so give you a dream. Now all of you are going to have a dream, aren't you? And I'm not going to interpret your dream for you. It's none of your business. I can't anyway. But, but you understand what I'm saying? We want so bad to know. Because I, think it's a, I don't think it's because we want to know how God's going to use us as much as we want to know when we're going to die. If I need to be afraid today, am I going to lose my job? I think it's a control thing. And God wants to say, seek me. I'll take care of the rest. I don't like how you take care of things. I don't care. I'm God. God has this eternal plan, and you in East Texas, listen to me, I know the rest of the world thinks you're a bunch of rednecks, you're not. You are the precious children of God. And even in East Texas, God looks down from heaven and goes, I've got a plan for them, and even their sin can't keep it from being accomplished. I'm going to use you. I've, I've invested in you. You're my masterpiece. And you're going to find out next week, just how wicked Solomon was, and most of you already know it, but we're going to look at it. And I'm going to remind you next week the same thing, that the reason God doesn't give up on him is because it wasn't about him in the first place. It was about his plan. God chose you, my friends. He planned tasks for you before you were even born. You and I are a part of his plan, different eras, different tasks, different stuff going on, but same inclination towards sin, same chaos around us, same chaos in our country that they had back then. Look, I, I know that this is a freaky time for a lot of you, whether you're on the right or the left, but I'm here to tell you it's just as freaky as it was back then, people killing each other then. The same chaos around us, but it's the same God, same love, same task giver, same plan. He's got a plan for you. You are precious to Him. You're precious to His plan. It wasn't just about heaven and hell after all, it was about His plan. If you have not accepted Him today, come out of the chaos. Come out of the chaos. Come to me, Jesus said, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I have come to give you life to the fullest. That doesn't mean rich, it doesn't mean pictures of you all over the place, it means a life of meaning and fullness. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know you're in trouble spiritually? He offers you redemption this morning. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm in trouble. Save me. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have forgotten your place, but are his child like Solomon did, submit to him. You have not out David or Solomon yet. Run back to him. Do not live in your pride. You will still accomplish his purposes in your life, but it will be extremely painful. You don't have to experience pain. It's crazy to me, this wisdom that God gives him doesn't make Solomon a godly man. He actually gets worse. He marries some 900 women just to make peace with those nations when God says, I will be your peacemaker. I will be your protector. I want you to see so badly that the the reason this is recorded for us and we need to get our minds around it, but it's the reason it's recorded for us is because God is showing us who he is through these stories in light of who we are. He's proclaiming his mercy, his grace, his commitment to us and his own plan. And things haven't changed in several thousand years. Good place to stop. He was a half-hearted servant of the Most High God. Are you? David was wicked, but he was fully hearted. His heart was all fully God's. Even his son acknowledges it. Where do you stand in all this? It's going to get really scary in the coming years for evangelicalism. There is a specific movement away from God's word. If you doubt it, read Jen Hatmaker any day of the week. She has left the biblical reservation. Andy Stanley just came out with a book that's, built on a premise of falsehood. His premise is the church in the New Testament was more effective than we are today, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but one of the premises of the book is it's because they didn't obsess over the Scriptures. It's not true. Paul told Timothy to stay committed to the Word of God as he learned it from childhood. They absolutely had the Old Testament, which proclaimed the Messiah, They were in process of writing the New Testament, and it was being passed around from church to church when Paul would write a letter. The Word of God explains God. Your submission proclaims His excellencies. We aren't people just of the written Word. We are people of the written Word that is our plumb line to truth, that are transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit, who makes us usable to the King in life and death. The fact is that no matter where you are right now in your life, in a good place or a bad place. God is still on his throne, he's still good, and he's still tasking you. How can I say that? Because when you're done with your task, you'll go home at that moment. God doesn't keep people around on earth just just to keep them around. Your grandmother with Alzheimer's or dementia still has a purpose. Well, she's just sitting in a chair. I didn't say I understood the purpose, but God is good, he's faithful. And if he can stick with this group of people, that continually flip him the bird. He's not going to give up on us. And that's what it looked like. Let's close in prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to talk to your Father in heaven. First of all, if you are not his child, if you have never accepted his offer to forgive you, do it now. Tell him you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. Accept his gift of mercy. Tell him he can run your life. But for the rest of you, and I know it's a great majority of you, it's time to move from being like Saul to being more like David. It's time to move from Solomon to David. And although we still feed our flesh at times, We run to God when it's made clear to us. Some of you think that your sin is is so gross that God's no longer hearing you. That's a lie from hell. He's already forgiven you for it. He just wants you and Him to be good. To do that, you've got to lay it down. And so right now, where you're at, as we enter this Thanksgiving Christmas season, I plead with you as your pastor and your friend, Give your life back to him. Right now. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to cry. Give it back to him. And you know exactly what that will cost you. It may cost you an apology later today to your wife, breaking off a relationship that shouldn't be, but it doesn't start when we've done that. That's the end of it. Talk to your dad. Lord Jesus, I pray that you wouldn't just own me, that you would own our elders, that you would own our church, that Carpenter's Way would simply be a place where people spur one another on to love and good deeds and go out and do their mission. May we be less passionate about figuring out what our task is, Father, than making ourselves servants of the taskmaster. If we do that, we can't miss. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in a few moments. Uh, Tonight, 5 o'clock, we have a business meeting. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday.